This is an episode of the commentary that we never expected to release because we never expected to make it in the first place. It's a little bit unusual. Instead of my usual co-host, Cameron Brooks, I'm actually joined in the studio by my dear friend, the Reverend Luke LaDuc. Luke is the pastor of Wheatland Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But long before he was that, Luke was my good friend. We've known each other for over 20 years now. We've had a similar kind of journey out of the Baptist world into the Presbyterian world. And Luke, for whatever reason, thought it would make for a fun vacation to come to Sioux Falls right before a blizzard struck. He regretted that he would have to miss the Ash Wednesday service at his church, but he could at least take comfort that he would be attending the Ash Wednesday service at Grace until the blizzard forced us to cancel our service. But one of the lessons that we've learned at Grace is that when life gives you lemons, you could squeeze a podcast out of them. And that's what we're about to do right now. Luke and I are looking at the liturgy for our Ash Wednesday service, and we are going to spend some time going through these readings and just talking through the significance of this date on the church calendar that we know as Lent. So first of all, Luke, welcome to the commentary. Well, I'm glad you finally let me back in the house after forcing me to shovel your driveway. And well, it's you know, I, I appreciate, for a while. I don't know that I could have dug myself out if you hadn't <laughs> done that work. And I think of it as part of the vacation Yeah, that you're not just getting mm-hmm. to stay in the Bertrand household, but you're getting exercise. And yeah, I thought it was part of your sort of Lenten practices of penance and you were sending me out. To, yeah, I, I felt like you needed that spiritual discipline. Exactly. And so, well, it is really a, a great joy to be here. Yeah, we've been friends a long time, and uh, I'm actually. This is kind of uh, an honor to be on the commentary. I am a faithful listener. That's right. Of the podcast, I usually call you and and sort of nuance your right what what you've messed up. Give after the complaints, each, right? And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it is a it is a great joy to be. Uh, here with you this week, and sorry to miss the service tonight. That would have been really wonderful, but uh, glad to be together. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, and I guess that's another thing that makes this an unusual episode of the commentary. It's going to drop on Wednesday, not on Friday, uh, Lord willing. We're, we're recording this with the hope of posting it right away. So, uh, Luke, I've shared with you the liturgy that we use at Grace for Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk through this a little bit because even people who have worshiped with us on Ash Wednesday in the past might not have reflected on the significance of some of what we do. So let me kind of set it up. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to ask. Sure. But it's a little bit unusual. So this is a liturgy that Unlike a lot of what we do, this is one that that I made, I, I came up with. It's obviously inspired by the famous Lessons and Carols service mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. replicate on Christmas Eve. So it has that same structure where there's lessons or scripture readings, and they're answered by congregational songs or hymns. And what may not be clear to people participating in the service is that there are five readings or lessons 
in this service, and they correspond to the five Sundays of the season of Lent. Mm -hmm. So there's a reading from Scripture for each of those five Sundays. The readings are also unified in the sense that they have a theme that, that holds together, and the theme is depth. We talk about longing at Lent, and one of the things that we strive to do is is gain a deeper understanding of that longing. And so mm. each one of these readings is designed to give us a deeper understanding of some something profound from the Christian story. But in this case, because it's the season of Lent, it's something profound about sin. Right. You know, this right. is essentially our way of reflecting on the story of human sin from beginning to end theologically. Yeah. No, great. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I have just looked at it for the first time. Um but it is a it is an interesting thing uh to do at this first um this Ash Wednesday, this first day of, of Lent, because I, I think when you think about Lent as a journey towards the cross and the resurrection, um, this does give you sort of some solid uh, themes for which to start that journey on. And uh, one of the things that I try to emphasize in our own congregation— I, First of all, maybe a little side discussion is interesting here. Um, I don't know what it's like here in your presbytery, but in our presbytery back on the East Coast, um, I don't know even how many PCA churches have an Ash Wednesday service. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure it's not all of them. I'd be surprised if it was half of them. Um, but I, I think... The only point I'm making with that is that it's an interesting time for us to, because we don't have a tradition of uh, Ash Wednesday service necessarily, I think there are some really helpful things for us to uh, recover for our people through giving them a formal start to the Lenten uh, season, even if it's not a traditional sort of Ash Wednesday service where sure. you impose ashes on the forehead. And, yeah, I mean, and, I think that is the challenge, right? That that um, for those of us who see the value of adapting the traditional church calendar, right, and yet also want to do it in a way that that lives harmoniously within our Reformed tradition. Exactly. We're oftentimes looking at, at at kind of that question of, so how much of the practice of the broader church right. is helpful here, and where do we want to sort of zoom in, as it were, and, yeah. and really emphasize what you might think of as, as something distinctively mm -hmm. ours? And I right. think both of those connections are important because we want to have a sense of our connectedness. Exactly to the, the church as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, there are distinctives that we celebrate, and, and both of those things can, can come yeah. into play. And, so, and, and I think that's exactly um, sort of what drew me to the Reformed tradition and the richness of the Reformed tradition is that we are able to sort of look across the landscape of church history and practice and to be able to draw those rich things out of it without feeling like we have to do it this particular way. There's a real sense in which 
our Catholicity with a little mm. C allows us to really draw from the best yeah. of all of the worlds. I have a friend who, um, in the PCA, instead of doing an Ash Wednesday service, he does a forgiveness Vespers uh, to start out the Lenten season, which is kind of drawn from the Eastern Orthodox tradition mm -hmm. where everyone in the congregation goes around to every other person and they uh, ask their forgiveness for the ways that they've sinned against them this year. Now, you, of course, wouldn't have to do that in your congregation, I'm sure, Mark. We, we but, don't typically but sin against one another. Just that but, yeah. idea that there is a, a whole you know, landscape of, of rich practice from which to draw upon. And I think that's, as I glance through what you've done here, I think you've reordered that and brought it into our own tradition in a really nice way. Well, I mean, I've tried. I, I, I oftentimes will say that, you know, I have the benefit of ignorance in the sense that uh, when it comes to adapting uh, the tradition and the history of the church, that sort of thing. I know enough to be able to draw in the themes that I think right. have this resonance. I don't know enough to do everything exactly as it would have been done by, sure. you know, right. whoever in the past. And so um, you have to take that for what it's worth. But in this case, what I thought was interesting was the idea of creating a service where, in a sense, at the beginning of the journey, Mm -hmm. you are giving people a sort of like something to take with them on the way. And so these five readings and the themes that relate to them are there for you during these five weeks to reflect on and meditate on. Mm -hmm. And so for one worshiper, you might experience this service on, on an Ash Wednesday and you go through these readings and you think about them and you never really reflect on them again. Throughout the course of Lent, you're focused on other things, whatever. But another worshiper might take this liturgy mm -hmm. and and really live in it for five weeks. Right. And really, you know, each week take this passage of scripture and meditate on it, reflect on it and unpack it and think about how it connects to this overall story that we're telling. So I thought it might be helpful for us to go through that sure. and actually look at these readings and think about how they're meant to connect. And um, we might uh, take turns sure, and do some, some readings and commentary. But our first reading is actually the introduction to this story of sin. Mm. And as I said before, though, that this is not a narrative story. It's a theological story. Right. So we're going to be jumping around in the Bible, but we're going to be illustrating what you might think of as, as five themes mm -hmm. in the story of sin. So we'll start with the problem of sin. We'll get to the solution and, and look at that as we go. But we're going to begin with the problem. So the first lesson is meant to illustrate the depth of our sin. And as we reflect on the depth of our sin, which brings us under condemnation, so profound that only Christ can liberate us, this text from Romans 7 gives us insight into this. And of course, this is Paul reflecting on, on his own sinful state. So this is Romans 7, starting in verse 9, it goes through verse 23. So hear the word of the Lord. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. 
Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So you can see there as we think about Paul's words that we're not beginning the story of sin chronologically in the garden, right? but we are trying to get down to the depths of how big the problem of sin is. And it, it really does go down to the corruption of desire. Yeah. And I think uh, I love this as a first reading because one of the, one of the principles in this whole Lenten season is a period of self-reflection. And sort of Paul, I mean, as, as you read this, it's, it is Paul um, letting us in to hear him wrestling deeply with the self-reflection of the law of sin that he feels in his own body, which is a really interesting, and I love the body language that he uses in here. He, the, the connection of sin to his body, it's not just a spiritual problem, it's not sort of this uh, abstract idea, but for Paul, this is a problem with his body. And uh, I think that's really useful for us as Christians who uh, Lent is a really great opportunity for us to reflect on um, our own uh, struggles with sin in a body, not just as an abstraction, although there is that idea of we've broken God's law sort of in the abstract, as it, but, but this is a time of really turning inward and, and walking point through point the places that we're carrying sin and feeling sin in our bodies. It's, it's an opportunity for awareness, isn't think, it? Yeah, right. I mean, because of the way that we associate Lent with fasting, mm-hmm. uh, fasting, whether it is, you know, the, like a literal fasting from food right. or a more metaphorical mm-hmm. fasting from, you know, giving something up. Yeah. Um, I'm giving up snow shoveling now for Lent. <laughs> Just in time. Yeah. I think that that experience does focus us on our our physicality, right? Our right. embodiedness, yeah. and and inevitably inevitably brings us back to um, the embodiedness of our sin mm-hmm. and in that connection. 
you know, and, and Paul obviously is not saying, you know, the flesh is evil and the spirit no, is good. absolutely not. But yeah. there is that sense that he sees will and desire and, and those conflicts as mm-hmm. part of this embodied problem of sin. And of course, what we want to emphasize at the beginning of this liturgy is that the problem of sin is so deep that it affects everything. Mm. You know, that the human person is entirely compromised by sin. It is not something that can be overcome through an act of will. Yeah. It's not about uh, retraining the desires. Mm-hmm. You just start wanting what's right, and then everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. It's a much worse problem than that. Well, yeah, and... You know, in the end, as Paul uh, just uh, really a lament, like a psalmic lament here at the end, and his lament is, who will deliver me from what? This body of death. And that connection, I think, sin to, from, with sin to death, to physical death, spiritual death, all sorts of deaths in our life is a really important um, connection for us to make. That's exactly right. And it brings us to our second reading, because having reflected on the depth of our sin, in the second reading, we reflect on the depth of Christ's sacrifice. And of course, that sacrifice involves his death. So I often say that if we understand the extent of the solution then we will have a better understanding of the extent of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this is one way to think about this. If we really want to understand how bad the problem of sin is, we have to ask ourselves, what did it take to overcome it? Mm -hmm. And and now we're beginning to think about that, to reflect on what Christ had to do, his atoning sacrifice in order to pay the price for our sin. So our second reading comes from Hebrews. This is Hebrews 23 through 28. Luke, do you want to take this one? Sure. Hebrews 9, 23 to 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself." And just as it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hmm. I love that. There's so much there. I mean, that note at the end, those who are eagerly waiting Hmm. for him, I think really speaks to us in this season of Lent, because this is a season of waiting, mm. a season of longing, anticipation, yeah. Yeah. waiting for deliverance. And this is just a beautiful passage about the once-for-all sacrifice that Christ has made for our sin. Yeah, and in the fall of last year, our con- I preached through Leviticus, um, 
And it was it was an extraordinary experience, uh, just for me personally. I, I'm not saying it was extraordinary <laughs> for the people listening, but to be forced into that book after yes. having preached Hebrews, mm-hmm. Um, mm. maybe the year before or the fall before, doesn't matter. But after I went through Leviticus, I was like, oh my goodness, I did this all out of order. I mean, you know, we're, I think, and, and what I'm trying to say by that is most of us are familiar with Leviticus through Hebrews rather than sure. the other way around. And it just, it was so clear to me that spend doing really the hard work of Leviticus makes Hebrews flower in in a completely different way. Is it because Leviticus is almost giving you the template that then Christ yeah. fulfills? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, sorry, I'm talking in code here, but the idea that Leviticus is all about what God will do for his people who have rejected him and now is creating a way back into relationship with them. And it's through the sacrifices, it's through the tabernacle, it's through the rites and the rituals and all of that. And and that what he started there, though, gets opened up in Jesus in this Hmm. beautiful way. And then, as the writer of Hebrews, whoever that might be, is reflecting on all of that, it's just amazing to me what we're seeing here is uh, this putting it all together in Jesus, um, that he is the way back into communion and relationship Mm. with God. And it was this profound, as you were saying, this profound cost um, in order for us to be reconciled. In Hebrews 9, I think that like if we're looking for, let's say, like a metaphor or something to understand that depth of the sacrifice— the contrast that's made between the heavenly things and the copies mm. of heavenly things mm-hmm. is really interesting yes. because he begins by saying it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified <laughs> with these rites. And you think, well, what what copies is he yeah. talking about? And it's what you're describing exactly. in Leviticus, It's all right? about Leviticus. It's, yeah. it's the temple or the yeah, tabernacle that becomes the temple and, and, and all of those rituals. Sacrifices and rituals. And to think yeah. that all of that real world stuff you know, that that tent and later that building that you could see and you could mm-hmm. touch is a copy mm-hmm. of the real thing, right. this higher thing. Yeah. And it's into that higher place that Jesus has entered and made his ones for all yeah. sacrifice. It's mind-blowing. It is. And I think when you take that perspective, which of course is a, is a very first century New Testament perspective, when when it suddenly dawns on you, that all of that that was going on back in the Old Testament, back in Leviticus, all throughout the centuries, was coming to this climactic moment in Jesus, Hmm. then I think that's an opportunity for us at this season of Lent, again, to rediscover the cross of Jesus at the center of history um, and, and at and at what God was always doing to bring us back to himself. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful reflection. I mean, that's another good segue too, because our third reading is a focus on the depth of Christ's suffering. We talk about this deep sacrifice, but it's easy sometimes to talk about the cross in the abstract, Mm -hmm. to talk about the death of Christ 
primarily in terms of the work it accomplishes and not to really take into account the, the experience of suffering that Christ endured. And our passage here is from Philippians 2, and this, of course, is a famous passage that is essentially encouraging us to follow Christ in his example mm. of selflessness and self-sacrifice. But it's also one of the striking things that, Luke, I think you can relate to. This, for me, was when I entered into the Reformed world and mm-hmm. started learning the Westminster Confession mm-hmm. for the first time, one of those early questions I remember from the catechism had to do with, you know, what what did Christ's humiliation consist oh, right, of? Or, right, and right. what did it consist, yeah. you know? And that was a new concept for me, mm-hmm. especially in the way it was answered, because if you had asked me in what sense was Christ humiliated, I would have thought immediately of the suffering mm-hmm. of his death. Right. But actually, the answer begins with the suffering of his birth mm-hmm. and the the idea that it was humiliating. It was a lowering mm-hmm. of him in order to become one of us. And so when we think of the suffering of Christ, we do have that tendency to, to limit it yeah. right to the end. But yeah. there's a sense in which it's larger. Yeah, and I think that that's a lovely thing for us to contemplate during this season together as well, because... Um, the incarnation and the whole life of Christ. I was reflecting in a sermon just this week on the temptations of Jesus and and what he did in uh, how um, how that is part of his victory as well. Over the, I mean, the cross and resurrection obviously is the is the final sort of nail in the coffin of of evil and that sort but but what he's doing there yeah just but being able to see his whole life from incarnation as you're saying through death and resurrection or through through his death as to being part of his suffering and, yeah yeah grace's director of discipleship and education dan reed just preached a sermon on this passage mm. two sundays ago okay and uh, really magnificent. So this is fresh in people's minds. But let me just read this third lesson, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Oh man, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Yeah, it. it I mean, I think most people have agreed that this is hymn-like. Uh, I mean, it, right. it's just glorious. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the fourth lesson, you might say we shift gears a little bit, where we've been contemplating the depth of Christ's sacrifice and suffering. Now we consider the depth of Christ's forgiveness, like just how deep that forgiveness runs. In order to think about how thorough his work is and how there is nothing left 
to be done to wipe our slate clean, we turn again to the book of Romans. This is Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. And this is a little bit longer, and it's it's complicated by the fact that we have a couple of quotations in the middle. So, Luke, why don't we be fancy here? All right. And You're you read that. the text, and I'll read the quotations okay. that are buried sure. in it. Does that make sense? Got it. Romans 11, 25 to 36. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Luke, you and I had our first experience of seminary together at Mm -hmm. Westminster, and our first professor, Dr. David McWilliams, at reading passages like this would always pause and say, truly, this is theology that leads us to doxology. But it's literally what's happening here, right? right. That that Paul is giving us some theology, and then he he just has to... uh, take it to the next level of of praise. But I think that movement, right, from trying to explain this mystery of election and how it all works Mm -hmm. to this ecstatic celebration of the depth of God's riches and wisdom and knowledge Mm -hmm. is the place I want to be during Lent as I contemplate the depth of my sin and the depth of Christ's Mm -hmm. sacrifice and his suffering I want to be able, in the face of all of that, to trust in the depth of his forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it really is a remarkable um, experience to turn from death to life. I think oftentimes we get the idea that Lent, is, the repentance, the introspection, the repentance of Lent can be drudgery. I don't, it Mm. can feel drudgery like drudgery. And I I think when you read something like this that takes you through that whole movement and ends with this glorious sort of doxological, it's like Paul can't help himself. The more he thinks about it, the, the more beautiful it becomes to him. And I think that's real, that's really what I am praying for 
um, in my own heart and I'm hoping to lead our people through is to find that the more we contemplate the depth of our sin and the more we contemplate the depth of Christ's forgiveness to us, this walking through 40 days of introspection and and thoughtful repentance and and looking at the places where our hearts have grown cold or, or, or grown hard towards the love of Jesus. It for us can be this joyful turning back to the one who is inviting us out of out of his love to find union and communion with him again. Yeah, that's well said. I, I think you're answering the question that I'm about to ask in the sense that when we think about Lenten discipline, mm-hmm. fasting, mm-hmm. one of the ways that we've talked about it on the commentary in the past is, is to say something like this, that that fasting is, is a physical deprivation that mm-hmm. creates room for a spiritual benefit. Right. Right. We're emptying something, giving something up physically, but we're doing it in the hope that we gain something spiritually. And yeah. and if you had to say like what the thing we gain is, I think it's exactly what you're putting your finger on. It's it's that assurance, that sense of of the presence and forgiveness that we have in God. And that does bring us to our final, and and I would argue, if you can even say something like this, our most beautiful mm. lesson here, because it's the lesson that contemplates the depth of our union with Christ. Mm. You know, I said at the beginning that this tells the story of sin from beginning to end, so from problem to solution. Mm-hmm. And I think when you hear that, you might imagine, oh, okay, from the garden to the cross. Mm-hmm. But the solution ultimately involves a full restoration, right? It's that face-to-face, beatific vision of Christ in his presence. And so we have to go beyond maybe where we would ordinarily go and really contemplate this idea of being united and one Mm. with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, our text is 2 Corinthians 1, and this is verses 3 through 7. You want to take that one? Sure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation." And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Amen. Hmm. That may seem like a strange passage to go to to illustrate union with Christ, but the the logic of that selection was, we always talk about imitating Christ, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes we don't appreciate that if we're going to follow after him and be like him, mm-hmm. that's going to involve sacrifice. It's yeah. going to involve suffering. And so this passage, I think Paul really illustrates for us what we might think of as the reciprocal relationship 
mm. between our suffering and then our ability to yeah. offer Christ-like comfort to those who suffer. And that, to me, suggests a participation yeah. in the experience of Christ. Yeah, I think the other thing that I like about um, ending uh, with this passage particularly is that it gets at... Um, the really important aspect for a community of faith, a church, a congregation, that yes, our union with Christ is glorious and real, but by the very fact that we are united to Christ, it also means we're united with each other. And there is this, there's this dynamic going on in this passage that um, you have to look at your brothers and sisters in the face as well in all of this, that that Christ's sacrifice uh, that unites us to himself somehow, even in the face of really hard things and difficult places, unites us to one another as the body of Christ. Mm. And um, wow, those can be really challenging places. Right, right. Um, yeah, so so that's another another thing that I think is really important for us to hold on to as we go through this Lenten season. Like for me, where there are places of real pain, personal pain, um, this is the season where those things are at the surface as well. It's our own repentance and our own forgiveness, but it's that introspection of Lent that allows us to see our own sin and maybe respond differently to our brothers and sisters who have sinned against us or we've perceived sin against us. But this, yeah. there, there's that, it's not just a horizontal thing going on here. It's a very, I mean, it's not just a vertical, I've got my lines mixed right. up, whatever it is. Yeah. It's not just a vertical thing going yeah. on between us and Jesus, although that is profound and amazing. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I like that because I do think it's right that when we think about spiritual disciplines, especially, we often think of them primarily as vertical, mm, you know, mm-hmm, and we think mm-hmm. if I if I do this fasting and if I I embrace more discipline, my hope is that I gain from it blessings and gifting and mm-hmm. things like that from God. Right. But then there's this this added dynamic that the God of the Bible, when he gives gifts or blessings, gives them so that those who receive them will have something to give. Yeah. So he doesn't give them to you as as like a an end so much as as a means. Right. And so that's really bringing us into, I, I hope, a deeper understanding of what union with Christ means. Right. That, that in our union with one another, we can be christ-like towards one another and and as we suffer whether it's discomfort or real suffering i think one of the primary ways we want to learn to see our suffering is as a kind of discipleship right a kind of equipping so that we might offer the kind of comfort right that paul describes here yeah i have um i mean that idea that the christian life is a cruciform shape. Mm. Um, and I, I have a friend, a pastor friend. I, I have a, another pastor friend besides you, Mark. I have more than one. You but, have so many friends. Uh, well, no, I have two. But this other pastor friend was talking, we were talking about sanctification and talking about um, uh, 
just new experiences that you go through in in your Christian life and in life. I mean, life as a Christian is maybe a better way to put it. And uh, he was saying, I'm, you know, I'm more and more becoming convinced that these real places of suffering that I'm trying to alleviate are actually the very means of my sanctification. Mm-hmm. And I, that sounds so basic, doesn't it? But <laughs> like, right. that's the secret. It's, it's not a secret. It's it, but it's the secret that's out in the open, right? That's the crazy exactly, thing is that by, I mean, this is the story of the gospel. And yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, Every Ash Wednesday, right at the top of this liturgy, we have this quote from St. John of the Cross who says, Mm. whoever does not seek the cross of Christ does not seek the glory of Christ. Mm. And I think that's exactly it. that's lovely. So we've gone through the five readings. And before we end, I'd just like to say a few words about Lent and how it relates to and differs from Advent. Because... Some of the language we've used may seem really familiar to people because during Advent, we talked about longing as well. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, longing for Jesus. and and, Waiting in the darkness. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so is Lent just Easter Advent (laughs) or is there something different about it? That's that's the question I want us to tackle for just a a moment here at the end. Luke, I yeah. know you you believe, as I do, that there's a difference. But yeah. if we wanted to try to put our finger on it, how might we approach that? I think I would start... Well, what it makes me think of, your question makes me think of, is uh, I've read a couple times before uh, a book by an Eastern Orthodox uh, theologian named Alexander Schmemann. I yeah. know you know who he is yeah, for yeah. the life of the world, but he has a book called Great Lent. And in it, he talks about Lent as a journey, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of language that we use as well. But he speaks of it as a bright sadness. And I I think that's a really interesting difference in the longing, perhaps. Maybe that's a helpful way yeah, to put it. Yeah, bright sadness. I like that. I, I, I think I I think part of what he's getting at with that is and 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 maybe I'm relating this to your question and it's not what Schmeman means at all. But in our Advent longing, um we are longing for one to come to put all things right. This one who's coming who will um, redeem us and the world. And our, our, our longing in Lent has, still has that brightness, but there's the sadness to know what that redemption is going to take in a different way. Yeah. And what that redemption then requires of us as we enter into it um and that's a different like yeah it's it's not just all angels singing it's like the work has been done and now 
you must enter into that. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Advent, we're longing, and we're longing for Jesus, and we're longing for everything Jesus is going to do from beginning to end, right? Yeah. It's all included in that. So it's not just that we're longing for the birth of Jesus, but but we stop there, mm-hmm. right? We, it, it's the whole package. Right. And yet, the emphasis, I think, is on that victory. Yeah, And right. when I think about what's different at Lent, I go back to uh, Matthew 1, and that mm. great summary, I yeah. think, of the mission of Jesus, that he will save his people from their sin. Right. And if you think of those words, you might imagine like like dividing them in two and thinking one of them really captures Advent mm-hmm. and the other really captures Lent. Yeah. So he will save his people from their sin. And imagine, like you're hearing this for the first time, he will save his people and everyone's cheering, yeah. yes, victory, he will save us. And then from their sin, they're right. like, yeah, oh, oh. I thought right. you meant he will save us from Roman oppression. Right. I thought he would. It's oh, yeah, it's saving a, us from ourselves, and it right. adds. Yeah. It adds an inflection, mm-hmm. right? That that forces us inward, right? That that we long for salvation, and oftentimes it's it's an external longing, like a long for the end of uh, oppression by outside right. forces. Yeah. But now we're turning inward mm-hmm. at Lent, and we're yeah. thinking about. Like what this victory will cost, right? Uh, so what it means for us, mm-hmm. but what it will cost him, yeah. in order to give it to us. And I think that's what gives this season its special character. Yeah. That, that it is a time when we do something that, of course, we want to do year round. Of course, we want yeah. to do day in and day out. But this is a time for us to be especially mindful and discerning when it comes to walking more closely with him. Yeah, I I think that's a really helpful framework, and it it doesn't at all um, threaten the once for all sacrifice of mm. Jesus. It's this does not at all um, take away the fact that what he does is a real saving a real number of people from real sin. It's, yeah. it's but his work as the suffering Savior, then calls us into that same work of repentance and forgiveness. And that, I think, is a sobering and yet joyful, um, that bright sadness. I think that's a, I think in the end, that's a really helpful way I to, think it is. to get at it. Bright sadness. I agree. It's helpful. It, it's also a good title. Mm. for this episode of the commentary bright sadness as a way of thinking about lent uh luke thank you for joining us for this episode it's been special this has been a dream of mine actually to to do this together so and thank you for letting me do all that shoveling and for the four advil that i've already taken we're actually recording this at during the 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 lull right between the storm we've had and the storm we anticipate that you might yeah. say we're longing for and so there may be more shoveling well as long as you have more, more advil, advil in your game. future we'll do our best so thanks for joining us for the commentary hope you've enjoyed this special episode as we regret the fact that we've had to cancel our lenten service on ash wednesday i pray that this conversation will be helpful to you as you begin that journey and will help you to appreciate uh, this season in the body of Christ and the life of the church.